Man, it is so good to uh, just be back with everybody. Uh, we have uh, we've been a little MIA as we have brought little Magnolia into the world. And uh, of course, she is awesome. We love her a whole bunch. Uh, you know, one of the things that I miss is just singing with you all. And I had forgotten that there are some of you who are like me that, you know, got a little bounce in you. And then there's some of you that um, are, we'll say, more bound by the forces of gravity. Uh, you don't move much. <laughs> That's, it's okay. It's okay. Worship is a matter of the heart. And uh, we can see who finds that funny and who doesn't right now. If you move like me, you might have a little chuckle. If you don't, it's not funny. So, hey, um, it's good to be back. And um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're going to continue on in that. And it's going to take us maybe a little bit to, uh, to kind of get to where we're going today. But, but I think there's some important things that we need to think about in terms of who we are. So who we are, and we're going to get there. Uh, let me share. I just want to, I always like to start with a story. I think it's good. But um, when we were in the hospital, uh, it was actually three Sundays ago, three weeks ago today, uh, we checked into the hospital uh, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, labor had started, and, you, you know, it's the hurry up and wait game, right? So we're hurry up and we're waiting, and uh, Lee Webb had preached that day. So I'm getting like a bajillion texts from Lee Webb. This happened, that happened, you should follow up with this. Well, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm at the hospital, right? So, but it was awesome. So we were, we were dealing with that, and in the middle of all that, we're waiting, and I'm a big coffee drinker, and so our, our nurse walks in, and she's like, she's talking to Caitlin, and she said, can I get you anything? And kind of under my breath, I was like, a cup of coffee would be great. <laughs> Didn't think she heard me. Two minutes later, she comes back in and she says, I just made a fresh pot of coffee just for you. I was like, this is awesome. Like, she's having a baby. I'm sitting over here to the side and she's making me coffee. It was awesome. And then uh, my, mom, my mom came down to, uh, to be there for Magnolia being born. And uh, Magnolia was born like 10 o'clock at night. We didn't get to our room until like 2.30 in the morning. We were like wiped out. And mom held my Magnolia the whole night. Uh, we didn't even know. Caitlin and I were just like conked out as asleep as you can be in a hospital. And uh, it was awesome. It, you know, the hospital, it was so cool because everything was geared towards serving our family. Like everything that happened was about our comfort. It was about us being in this like perfect little state so that Magnolia could just get this great start in life. It was awesome. And then we came home. Right? If you've had a kid, you know what this is like. No one makes you coffee have brought that nurse home just to make me coffee. That would have been great. Um, no one fluffs your wife's pillow for you. All of a sudden, that's a job that I get. Uh, although, Kate will never ask me to fluff her pillow, so I'm not sure where that came from. But uh, most importantly, no one holds your baby in the middle of the night. Um, now, here's the one thing that we do have. Um, we've had a church family who's been incredible uh, to, to continue to bring us meals and snacks and uh, just be there and love on us, and that's been awesome. But in the middle of all that, thinking about what it's like to be in the hospital with a baby versus what it's like to be at home with a baby, I begin to think, wouldn't it be incredible if there were a place like the hospital where all of our needs were met here on earth? Wouldn't it be amazing if, like, when we got up in the morning, we just, like, checked ourselves in, and there it was, like, everything was there for us. Somebody was listening even to the things that we said under our breath, and automatically meeting our needs. And as we think about that, when we begin to, to imagine what that's like, 
okay, we, we can begin to maybe, maybe catch a glimpse of what it might be like in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We're thinking about this kingdom of God that we really don't even know fully what it means or, or what it looks like. But as we come to this passage in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's trying to, through parables, give them a glimpse of what it's going to be like, of what the kingdom of God is like. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with us, beginning in verse 26. You can pull that up on your phone. I'd encourage you to do that. Or uh, if you don't have anything, you can follow with us on the screen. It says this. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? He said, it's like a mustard seed, that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Let's pray for our time in the Word. Father, we thank you for your word uh, revealed to us through Scripture. And we know, God, that your, your word does not return void. We know that your word is truth. And so, Father, we pray that as we come to it today that, that we would hear from you, that your spirit would teach us and that we would, um, we would take those things that you're teaching us, God, and not just rest on them or, or not just store them away, but that we would put them into action, applying them to our lives and making much of your son Jesus in this community of Shelbyville that we are called to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so if, uh, if you're new to Christ's community, our mission is to love God, love people, and to love this community that he has, has planted us in and called us to. And so as we do that, we continually come back to God's word, right? Like that's, that's, that's why we preach. We preach so that we can share the gospel, we can sow gospel seeds in ourselves, in our neighbors, and in this community. And so... Um, that's kind of what we've been doing, and, and we've been coming around this idea in Mark chapter 4 and following about clarity in the craziness, right? Clarity in the midst of, of craziness. And so Lee and Dave have been setting us up for this. Lee, uh, a few weeks ago, he asked the question, what type of soil are you, right? What type of soil are you? And he had three planters up here. I think Miss Phyllis probably put those together for him, right? And there was rocky soil, and there was good soil, and there's all kinds of soils, four soils, and he asks, what type of soil are you? You start thinking about, okay, what kind of life, who, who am I, right? And then Dave, a couple weeks ago, he asked the question, what, I love this question, what kind of crazy are you living in? What kind of crazy are you living in, right? And, and he talked about how when we identify what kind of crazy we're living in, we realize that we're called to be a light in the midst of that craziness. And so Today, we want to, to think about this passage, and we want to move to a question, right? We've got to start to find clarity in the midst of this craziness. And so we want to ask the question, who am I when craziness becomes a crisis? Who am I when craziness becomes a crisis? So uh, one of the things that Lee texted me on that uh, Sunday that Magnolia was born was about these four planters. And he was like, hey, uh, I just left those at the church. You'll also learn this about Lee. Anytime he uses a visual in a sermon, it's just going to stay at the church. 
He's going to get it here, but he's not going to get it out. I need to tell him he wrote a book called Go Outside, and his visuals need to go outside. I love you, Lee. So he's like, hey, I got, to, I got these four planters, and he was like, they just might be, a, you know, he's always got a good reason. He's like, they just might be a good visual, good reminder for everybody of what's going on. And I was like, yeah, perfect, that's great, knowing that I'm not going to be here for like two weeks. And so, um, so I come in, and they were sitting over here in the corner. There may even still be some dirt over there, who knows. And um, I, I moved them. I moved them back to a storage closet, Okay. So I moved them back to the storage closet, and this week, uh, I think it was Thursday, I was trying to get out of here really fast, and I was moving a table, and I went back there, and uh, the one that was full of all the rocks was sitting there, and I hit it with this table, and the planter, like, dumped over, and there's this huge pile of rocks now sitting in the storage closet, which I haven't cleaned up yet, okay? So I, I tell that story because I think a lot of times that's what happens in life, Right? Everything is going quickly. Everything is a little bit crazy. Uh, the pace of life is just, it's, it's insane. We can't catch up. And we're trying to hold everything together. And just as we're, we think we've got it pulled off and we're going to get out on time, and we're going to get to whatever we're supposed to be doing, something happens and we knock a planner over and stuff goes everywhere. And in a moment, the craziness in our lives become a crisis. It happens all the time. The crazy pace of your life leads to one of your kids melting down. Ever been there? Right? All of a sudden, you've been going so hard that the kids just can't even take it anymore, and they're melting down. Maybe it's in your marriage. Your marriage is always a little bit crazy. You're always like, ah, I don't know what they're doing. We're going to catch up at some point. We'll get there one day. But then, all of a sudden, the screaming gives way to a physical fight, or your spouse just walks out of the door. Maybe you've always lived on the crazy side of, of how much you can have to drink. I know that I can have this many and not be too far out of control. But then you realize that you can't resist having a drink, and all of a sudden your craziness has become a crisis. Maybe your life gets crazier as you financially try to keep up with the house payment, the car loans, the kids' activities every season. And you're just praying, right? You're just praying that no crisis hits you financially or you're going to be sunk. But inevitably, when you least expect it, your craziness is going to turn into a crisis. And when craziness becomes a crisis, you find out who you are. You find out who you are. So what is it that, about this God's kingdom thing? Why did Jesus find it so important to, to begin teaching his disciples about what his kingdom was like? What is it that we know about God's kingdom? Well, we know that Jesus is the king of his kingdom. And we know that, that his kingdom lasts forever. There is nothing that can prevail against it. And we also know that every citizen wants for nothing. It's a great kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is that God created you for his kingdom. No matter where you stand with Christ, no matter, no matter where you are in life today, like God created you for his kingdom. You may not look like you're ready for the kingdom. You may not even be ready for the kingdom, but he created you with the end goal in mind of bringing you into his kingdom. And so before we can look at what these parables mean and what they mean that we should do with our lives, we have to understand what it is that God created in us that makes us citizens of the kingdom, that, that, that makes us who we are, that makes us something that reflect the image of God. Because you see, as humans, what we often fail to see is that God created us differently than everything else in creation. Let's take a look at this. 
First is the idea that God formed you with, with body and soul. Body and soul. And, and at first you don't think anything about that because we're so used to it. But, but think about this. Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground. Okay? So you have material makeup, right? Like, like literally from the ground of the earth, he made your physical body and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. The breath of God living in you, a soul immaterially making up part of you. And the man became a living being. You see, when we read in Scripture that God created us in his image, part of that image is the fact that we are body and soul together, two parts that make one, a reflection of God himself in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, materially we reflect the image of God, and immaterially we represent the image of God in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our community. We are unique amongst all of creation. Now, I've got some bad news for you. Animals don't have souls. I'm not sure if all dogs go to heaven or not, <laughs> right? The, the movie says they do. But if they do, it's just because God wants them there. It's not because Jesus' blood pays for their sins. They don't carry that, that immaterial soul, the, the breath of God that we humans do. We are unique. We are made from the dust of this earth. And we are designed for the kingdom that is to come. We're designed for eternal life, both body and soul. We are, we are literally designed, right, to be the best of both worlds. The Derby is coming up this weekend, right? And uh, many times you'll hear people talk about horses being better at short track or long track, dirt tracks or some other kind of tracks. I don't know. I don't keep up with that close. But when, when we are made in Christ, right, when we are body and soul, we are the best of both worlds. We have what it takes to be representing God here in this world, but also with him in the next one, in his kingdom. We can be the guy that gets into both the NBA playoffs and the Avengers all on the same weekend. We can be the lady that likes to mow the grass and then go crafting later on, right? Like we can be the best of both things, but most importantly, we are created with body and soul so that we can reflect God both here and in heaven. But, but that's not all, right? It's not that we're just better than animals. There is nothing, there is nothing that, that God created that is better than us, than human beings. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21 says this. He, being God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, right, in his kingdom. Okay? So we're reading this together, right? Christ is above all things. He is he's above anything that, that has been created, including angels. And then we jump to Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, and this is an incredible truth. It's the truth of the gospel. He also raised us up with him. He also raised us up with him. The craziness in our lives, the crisis that we face, the, the things that we mess up, and for some reason, the creator of the universe has still chosen us that we are, we are prime in his creation and raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. He created us uniquely with body and soul and we are better than 
all of creation. We will one day be higher even than the angels. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels were created to serve and minister to, to those who are to inherit salvation. And that while they are currently higher than we are, when we join Jesus in heaven one day, we will be joint heirs with him in the kingdom of God. So the question comes, how can I know? How can I know that I will one day be seated at the right hand of Christ? How can I know that, that I have Christ living in me? How can I be confident in this salvation that he has given to us? And the answer is that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-7, through 7, such an encouraging passage. I just want to read it together. It says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes things are difficult here on earth. We are desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. I love that idea. So we are always, what's it say? Confident. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, when we come to trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us the Spirit as a down payment to guide us, to direct us, to begin making us ready to be citizens of the kingdom of God. I love this quote from Joe Thorne, who, who write, is writing a book I'm reading called Experiencing the Trinity. He says, The one who granted you eternal life is the same one who refuses to revoke it or release it. The same God who has the power to, to raise you up with Him is the same God who will not pull it away from you or let you go. So as we think about this kingdom of God, and as we think about the fact that God created you and I to be citizens in that kingdom, what we see is that we're made uniquely. We're made with excellence, and we are given confidence through the Holy Spirit to do what? What are we supposed to do with all of that? Sow seeds. Sow seeds so underwhelming. This pinnacle of creation, this, this beauty, this majesty, this thing that reflects the creator of the universe, these human beings, what are they, what are they made to do? And, and Jesus says, sow seeds. Come back to our passage. It says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. Jesus, I kind of want to do a little bit more than that. What, what, like, what do you mean? A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. I love this. But he doesn't know how. That's the God that we serve. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. See, as Lee has set us up to think about what kind of soil we are, as, as Dave has talked about sharing the gospel and being the light, what we realize is that 
there's beauty in the simplicity of knowing that we are just called to sow seeds. Because God will grow you. God will grow you and he will grow each person that he has planted the seed of Christ in. God created each of you in his image. And each of you, myself included, have blurred that image with sin. Our sin nature makes the image of God in us unrecognizable at times. It's hard to believe that, that God, who is love, created us. But God demonstrated that love for us by sending his one and only son to die on a cross and pay for those sins. To redeem them, to restore them, to make them new. And God desires that all would, would trust Christ and be saved. And when you place your trust in Christ, that seed of him is planted in you. But then notice how growth happens, mysteriously, and at the hand of God. And as God grows that gospel seed inside of you, the image of God becomes more and more clear in our lives. And people begin to notice, and, and, and they just say, something is different as I see God growing in that person. You see, it's not up to us to grow ourselves. We're just called to sow more seeds. And that seed is the good news of Jesus that has just been shared with you. And so as we think about what it looks like for each of us to sow seeds in our life, I want to talk quickly about five things that keep us from sowing these gospel seeds. Because it's hard, right? D uh, moment of accountability. Dave preached a couple weeks ago, and his challenge was to have one gospel conversation. One gospel conversation. If I ask you to raise your hand right now, if you had one gospel conversation, would you be able to raise your hand? See, I'm not asking you. We asked that conversation in our staff meeting the week after Dave preached, and it was, like, difficult because all of a sudden there was accountability. All of a sudden it was like, I have to think about my actions. How am I living my life? Am I living my life in a way that I'm intentionally sowing seeds, that I'm using words to share the gospel of Christ? And so what is it that, that keeps us from sowing these seeds? What are the things that, that really get in the way of us sharing Christ, of doing the one thing that he has created us to do? <clears throat> I think there's five, and we're going to go through them quickly. There's probably more, but hopefully this gets us started. One is that you have no relationship with Christ. Now let's think about this inversely for a minute. I don't want to cause you to doubt because we know we have confidence in the Spirit. But if you've never been able to share Christ, you might want to ask yourself if you know Christ. You know when you, um, you, know when you sit down to color with your kids and they go into like free draw mode? Like you've got a coloring book and you, you're, you get the crowns out and you're going to start coloring, but then it's like, Daddy, can I have a piece of paper? And you know at that moment that you're just going to have to go buy another ream of paper because they're going like, to cut it up, they're going to draw, they're going to do all kinds of things. So when that happens, um, I often get frustrated. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist at times. And when the kids start drawing something and they're telling me what they're drawing and it looks nothing like what they're drawing, I'm like, you want some help with that? Are you sure you don't want some help with that? That's a pretty big tail. <laughs> right? <laughs> These are real conversations. So um, I'll, I'll try to ask questions to guide them to draw a better picture. But then if, if all else fails, I'll grab a crown or I'll grab their hand and I'll try to help them do that. Always a bad thing. I, sometimes I just can't help myself. 
right? And that usually ends up in a fight, and if it's not a fight, it's for sure tears, because it was their picture, right? They designed the image. They are the creator, and there's nothing that I can do to improve the image that they have created. It is theirs. It reflects who they are. The same is true for our lives. We are God's creation. We are created in His image. We reflect His image. So when we try to fix ourselves, or when we try to portray an image of ourselves that we want to be portrayed instead of the image that that Christ is creating in us, when we try to manage our sin or reason it away, we are destroying the creation of our Creator. Thanks be to God that Jesus becomes the mediator. The one who can restore the image and appease both sides. He restores the image of God in us. You see, if you're trying to clean up your own life instead of letting Jesus restore the image of God in you, you might not have a relationship with him. You might just be trying to improve yourself. You haven't truly given your life to him or trusted Christ. And if you haven't given your life to him, you can't share the gospel with confidence because the Holy Spirit is not in you. So the first obstacle to sharing the gospel might be that you have no relationship with Christ. Number two is unconfessed sin. There was actually a research study done uh, all across the nation, and they found that uh, unconfessed sin, or confessing sin, was the number one indicator of people who were more likely to share their faith. That when you confess your sin to God, I'm not talking about like sitting in a room and telling Blake everything that you've done wrong. Like I'm talking about confessing your sin to God, recognizing that there's sin in your life and telling God and saying this is wrong. You are more likely to share Christ. You are more likely to share Christ. So I would say to you, if you struggle to share Christ with others, maybe it's because there's sin in your life that you're ignoring. It's that there's things in your life that you are not evicting and getting out of your life and confessing to the Lord. Number three, you are believing the lie that you're not ready. I'm not ready. I don't know what to say. How would I ever share Christ with someone? At Christ Community, I think oftentimes this gets this gets expressed in a little bit of a different way. It's like, I just want someone to pour into me. I just need to be discipled. And we do. In fact, the discipleship team that we're pulling together is meeting today after church for lunch. I would encourage you to pray for them. But I would also encourage you to start sharing your faith because that's the greatest encouragement to that team and to to discipleship beginning to happen. You see, Jesus was sharing this story, this, this parable with his disciples, many of whom have been Christians for a very short period of time. It's not like Jesus is talking to a bunch of seminarians, of pastors. Like, these are fishermen that he picked up on the lake not that long ago. And now he's saying to them, sow the seed of Christ. Sow the seed of Christ. You know, we buy the lie that sharing the gospel with someone or leading someone to Christ is the last step, last step of being a Christian. When I get it all figured out, right, then I can go and tell someone. In reality, it's the first. 
You know, like how you have to learn certain things to be able to, to be good at baseball or any other sport, or like you have to learn the fundamentals. The fundamentals of being a follower of Christ is just learning to tell someone else that you love Christ and that he loves them. Jesus begins his training of his disciples by saying, scatter the seed everywhere. And the last thing that he says to them on the back end is what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, I don't have it up on the screen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. You can't do any of that if you can't tell someone that Jesus loves them and died for them and he's paid for their sins. Stop believing the lie that you're not ready to share Christ. If Christ is in you, you're ready. The Holy Spirit has empowered you. Number four, conversely, you believe the lie that they are not ready. I'm still just getting to know this person, right? I'm not sure that I have a relationship with this person. I'm not sure that they're ready to hear it. We are not called to be soil inspectors. We're called to be seed sowers. We're not called to look at someone's life and try to figure out if they're thorny soil or rocky soil or good soil. We're called to put a seed in the soil. That's it. D.L. Moody, famous uh, preacher, his name's on a college, and he was preaching in his church, and a lady came up to him after the service, and she was complaining about how he was sharing the gospel and complaining about how he was asking people to respond and to, to come forward and, and accept Christ. And she said, I don't like it. It's, it's too forward. It's, it's not good. And his response was this. It's clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. Evangelism is this fancy word for sharing the good news, right? It's clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism. But I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. I don't care if you knock on someone's door that you don't know. I don't care if you share with someone that you've just met at the gas station. I don't care if you spend six months inviting someone into your home and you finally get to sharing the gospel. We're not called to be soil inspectors, but seed sowers. So stop believing the lie that they are not ready to hear the good news of Christ. Last, a barrier to sharing Christ may be that you just don't care. You just don't care. Sounds harsh. But there's got to be some explanation if you are a Christian for why you're not sharing your faith. If it's not one of the first four, maybe it's this, that you don't care that four out of five people in Shelby County are broken and without the hope of Christ. You don't care that generations are being raised up around us whose parents and grandparents are not believers and they haven't even heard about Jesus. You don't care that the man or the woman that you work with or play with this week could be separated from his or her creator. And they've seen your walk with Christ and they're just waiting on you to ask, do you know Christ? Have you trusted Christ with your life? Would you go to church with me? They're waiting on you to ask because they see Christ reflected in you. So choose to care. <laughs> choose to care. 
Jesus tells this first parable, and he says, listen, you just sow the seeds. I'll make sure that the seeds grow. And then he follows it up. In my kingdom, there's something else that you should know about this mysterious seed of Christ. That when we are faithful to sow seeds, God is faithful to grow trees. When we are faithful to sow seeds, God is faithful to grow trees. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. God wants to grow something great in each and every one of you. He created you in his image uniquely and marvelously. He wants to grow something great. I hope more, and I want more, and I see more for the people of this church than I do anyone else in the whole world. I know this is going to sound weird and a little bit obsessive, but there are days when I have, like, I love the people that are right here in this room more than I love my own family, who's over in Indiana. It's like a desert land over there or something. I don't know. I love you all. And I see us as a group that, that as we continue to pursue Christ, as we continue to, to let the seed of Christ grow in us by his mysterious ways, and as we continue to plant it in the people of this community, I see us as a group that will have and maintain healthy relationships. We'll learn to be better fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and friends. We won't be shackled by our past or our presence. We, we are continually craving time in God's word and, and in community together. Our immediate instincts are to, to pray together and to serve together. And we get uncomfortable with the thought that, that our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends are not walking with Jesus. And so in response to that, we step towards them in our discomfort. It's hard to share our faith, right? Like we talk about all the barriers. It's still hard. It takes great faith to know that when I put that small seed of the gospel in someone's wet path, that God is going to grow it. But we are a people that are sharing our faith where we live, where we work, and where we play. And we are seeing Jesus, Jesus grow us as we faithfully share him with others. And what's great is because of all those things, not all the frilly things, not all the extra things that we have, not because of our homes or our activities or the things that we do together, but the things that we do together in Christ, because of those things, we enjoy each other. That's the church. That's the church. God begins his best work in obscurity. Smallest of seeds in the least likely of places outside of the gates where things stink and worthless trash is thrown away. He found these 12 dudes that we call the disciples out amongst the smelly fish and they became the pioneers in the local church. Who would have thought that the faithfulness of the 12 to, to just sow gospel seeds would have resulted in the millions of people across generations of time who would have joined them in their mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Jesus begins his best work in obscurity on the outside. That's where we can find him. So let's go join him in sowing gospel seeds. You know, whether you believe it or not, Jesus has planted a gospel seed in you today. You have heard the good news of Christ. 
And Christ wants more for you than I could ever ask or imagine for you. He wants to transform your life and change you. His word doesn't return void. I love this passage from Isaiah 55. We often talk about the first part of it, but we don't catch the hope at the end. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Isn't that reassuring? Doesn't that give us confidence? You will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. If you were in church in the 90s, there's a really annoying song. And all the trees will clap their hands. You won't ever forget that. Get stuck in your head. When the seed of Christ is planted in you, you will go out with joy. Instead of the thorn brush, a cypress will come up, and instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. This will stand as a monument for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. The seed of Christ, the good news of him, has been planted in you. We scattered seed today, right? Have you let it be planted in you? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in Christ, or are you just trying to do this thing on your own? Today, the band is going to come, and maybe for the first time, you realize you've kind of just been playing church. You've been coming, and you know you have a sin problem, right? But you don't know what to do with it, and you think, if I just keep coming to church, I'm going to figure it out. Today is the day you figure it out that Christ has paid for your sins and all he asks in return is that you would believe and trust in him. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, you can do it right where you sit. You can pray to him and he will hear you. But myself and others will be back by the black curtain and we would love to to pray with you, to answer questions, to help you figure out what your next step is in growing in Christ. For those of you who who have seen Christ growing in you, you have the gospel planted in you. We respond being a part of this local church, right? Leaning in together, both financially giving to the mission and then also as we take communion. When we take communion, we come forward, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice and we remember exactly what the seed of the gospel that changes our lives costs. It costs the flesh and blood of Christ cost the flesh and blood of Christ. And we take that, we remember that, and we celebrate the new life that he has given to us that allows us to go out with peace and joy to be changed from something old to something new. Take a next step today. Maybe for you, it's saying, I trust in Christ. Maybe for you, it's, I know I've trusted in Christ, 
but I need, to, I need to let my church know that. I need to take my next step in baptism. Whatever your next step is, come, talk to me, talk to the team, and let's help you take it. I want to pray for us as we respond. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for uh, the seed of the gospel. It's mysterious how it grows in us and in this world. And I pray, Father, that the Spirit uh, would reign in this place over the next few minutes. I pray, God, that as, um, as the seed is scattered in people's hearts and minds today, that you would allow it to take root and grow in people. Father, I pray specifically for those who don't have a relationship with your son, Jesus, that you would call them to repentance, that you would call them to say, I'm done trying to do this on my own, and I want to trust Christ with my life and let him, just as Kenny said, let him show me the direction, and I'll just keep taking next steps. Father, for those who have given their life to Christ, I pray that you would help them to walk out of here with a new sense of confidence, knowing that the Spirit lives in him, and that you call us to go to make disciples and to scatter seed. We pray this with absolute faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.